Welcome to episode 431 with my guest, Keith Kingbay. Uh, my name is Paul Gilmartin. Uh, this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, this show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the social media handles and the website are all uh, MentalPod, MentalPod.com, at MentalPod, etc. Um, a couple of thoughts occurred to me this uh, this week. I always have a fear of making mistakes, and it occurred to me that if when I make a mistake, instead of going into the place of shame and regret, if I could just simply skip forward to the, is there anything I can learn from this and forgive myself and allow myself to be human, it can be actually be a positive thing. Because I was, I was talking with a fellow comedian and he was talking about a terrible show that he had. And we were both saying how you learn more from your bad shows than you do from the shows where you're killing. And um, I was thinking, why can't we apply that to life? But it's so it's so hard. And what's at the center of that? Uh, the fear that people aren't going to like us? Um, I, I don't know. Gracie is doing well. For those of you that don't know, I adopted a dog. Actually, it's almost like she adopted me. It's, um, I didn't, I was afraid to go out and get a dog and a friend brought a stray over when he was staying with me for the weekend. And I was like, all right, universe, I get it. And, uh, so far she gets along with, uh, Ivy, the dog that my ex and I share and, uh, Grady, the puppy that she has. And that was a huge relief. Um, Somebody sent an email and said, when are we going to hear about Gracie's butthole? Uh, my late dog, Herbert, there was an ongoing joke about his uh, Herbert's butthole. And uh, I just want to say that Gracie is a lady and she's delicate. And I will be not talking about uh, her her butthole. I will say this, when she barks, it puckers. That is as far as I'm going to go because um, she's classy. She's classy. I bought some rollerblades. I rollerbladed her around the block. Uh, she was very excited. She wasn't quite sure what to, what to make of it, but um, yeah, a lot of fun. Took her to the vet. No problems. Has all her shots. And her teeth are remarkably clean for a dog that was astray for, uh, for a while. But um, let me tell you what kind of a dog owner I am. You know, there's the dog owner that has like the purebred and you take it hunting and it's super well behaved and it never gets on the couch or on the bed and maybe even it's, it, it sleeps in a, in a dog quarters outside of the house. I'm not that kind of owner. I am the kind of owner that spoons with the dog in bed and calls her things like Mrs. Crazy Pants. And I need a dog that has abandonment issues so that she's clingy and I can feel like Jesus. That's essentially, that's essentially where I come from. And, uh, I think dog trainers would give me the thumbs up. <laughs> this is a struggle in a sentence, uh, survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Orville Tutenbacher. Um, 
and she's a therapist, and about her struggles with ADD, she writes, were all Ikea sets requiring assembly, except none of my pieces look like the pictures. Uh, snapshot from her life. Uh, yesterday, I forgot to take my Adderall, and I ended up telling my client that Magic Mike Live changed my life, and then agreed with her when she said that our psychiatrist is really weird. Thank you for that. Uh, this is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Big Daddy, and he writes, This weekend, I took my son to go play laser tag. Too late, I realized that this was a bad idea as a veteran with bipolar and PTSD. Not only were the guns realistic replicas of actual M14s, we were forced to wear camouflage sensor vests, add in a a dark, quote, urban warfare play space, flashing lights and pumping rock music, and it was a recipe for disaster. Needless to say, I didn't do all that well, and our team lost badly to a group of cocky teens who were talking smack. After the match, I was feeling extremely agitated, especially when one of the teens talked about kicking my butt. But instead of lashing out, I diffused the situation by saying, well, at least my fat ass got some exercise, so it's win-win. I forgot how well self-deprecating fat jokes can sadly put people at ease, including myself. That turned out much better than I expected. I thought for sure you were going to tell the kid how many confirmed kills you had, and then he was going to wet his pants. Uh, thank, Thank you for sharing that. Uh, This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a a trans woman who uh, calls herself uh, fuck white supremacy. About her depression, she writes, it's like being stuck in a crowded room with no friends and only enemies. About her anxiety, too many people, not enough evacuation exits. And then a snapshot from her life. Gender dysphoria, at its worst, is like having depression, anxiety, desperation, confusion, self-fucking hate, and an urge to destroy your life and hope that it all goes away and nobody understanding why. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that, what that has got to be like, especially given the condescending an indifferent attitude that society has towards uh, people who aren't of binary gender. This is an awful moment. Actually, before I do that, I want to uh, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, BetterHelp. If you've never tried online therapy, I really recommend uh, checking out BetterHelp.com. If you uh, are interested, go to BetterHelp.com/mental and uh, fill out a questionnaire. They'll match you up with a BetterHelp.com counselor. If they can't find somebody that they think is um, a good fit for you, they will let you know. So don't take it personally. Uh, and I think that's a good thing uh, because there are some issues where somebody might need face-to-face therapy um, or it's such a specialized issue that uh, they want to make sure that that you're being uh, served well and um so that does happen occasionally, but go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Uh, if they can match you with a counselor, they will, and then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you, and you need to be over 18. Uh, this is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself a nerve-ending personified, and she writes, I'm currently in therapy dealing with the fallout of recognizing that I was raised by a narcissistic mother. 
There are a lot of dark and sad moments, but also some funny ones. In some ways, my mom had rigid boundaries. She was emotionally closed off from me, would lock me outside when she didn't want me in the house, and she would give me the silent treatment when I stood up for myself. But in other ways, she had no boundaries. She was all up in my business all of the time. I wasn't allowed to close my doors, and she always went through my diary and confronted me about its contents. When I was 11, we were taught in school about the United Nations Rights of Child of the child. These rights were obviously intended to protect children who were in way more precarious situations than mine. I might disagree with that. But all my privileged ass retained was that children had a right to privacy, parents were never allowed to use corporal punishment, and children had the right to choose their religious beliefs. By my logic, I was therefore legally entitled to keep a private diary. I should never be slapped or spanked. Physical abuse was not a major theme in my childhood, but it was definitely there. And I didn't have to go to church. So boring. Since my mom seemed to think she was never wrong, I was emboldened by this information and confronted her when I got home. When I informed her of my rights without missing a beat, she just looked down on me and said, yeah, take it up with the UN. Nobody's Nobody's cool and everyone's scared. And we're just all in this together. There was no joy. Overeating. Apathy doesn't leave any marks. Numbing out. Physically. I wish that I was a girl. Panic attacks were so violent. Rudderless. They were mistaken for seizures. Shot coke in my neck. The TV was talking to me. Romantically, I am becoming the woman that I feared. He said, there's going to be a second hunger strike. Nothing's real. And I'm going to die. Sometimes I just go, hey, I can't deal. Just beyond broken. I went out. You have to, like, fantasize about the person I'm with. I'm gonna stop it. Fucking someone else. It's okay to be different. That I don't want to die is a miracle. To be weird. I'm so happy to be here. I'm gonna help you one day. People are gonna love you for that. It takes a lot of work to heal. It's hard being a weird kid. Sometimes you don't realize how fucked up something was until you feel the opposite of it. You will just never see what you're not looking for. I didn't know how to break up with him, so I just transferred schools. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here with Keith Kingbay, who I met through his podcast yes. uh uh a new player has joined new player has joined yes i had a lot of fun talking about uh civilization talked a little bit about golden tea yeah yeah um and then we started playing hockey together a, a couple of times uh, keith is a an incredible uh, hockey player played did you play semi-pro i played juniors yes which is just juniors. easier to say that's semi-pro <laughs> yeah <people. laughs> it's the, it's the levels uh, right before people go to pro right correct yeah um it was actually it was a little depressing seeing how fast you were it was you know what fuck you <laughs> we're done we're done. I appreciate you because every single time I'm on the ice with you, you are probably the one who I see just bolting down the ice as fast as they can to get that pass or get that shot going. Really? Yeah, I see you every single time. I look behind my back. I see you coming in. I'm always looking for you. I love playing with you. Oh, my God. that's You're my new favorite person. <laughs> uh, so we were talking about the relationship between depression and video games. Yes. And... I think it's such an important topic and rarely discussed because for so many of us, that's where we go to self-soothe. And yeah. Because you're a huge video game player, uh, let's let's talk about that. But before we get into the self-soothing and escaping into video games, yes. let, let's talk about your life, like the environment you grew up in. One of the things that you shared before we started rolling is that you have Reestablish contact with your family. You yes. had cut contact for for a bit. Yeah. Um, 
and, and why was that? Oh, if, com- if you're comfortable uh, no, yeah. talking um, about, because obviously it's not going to be like, oh, because we had that one fight. <laughs> it's like it's it's a it's a thing that goes upon years and years, and it has something that's very deep instead of just being like a surface level sur- dysfunction, right? Mm-hmm. Because it takes a lot for a person to be like. Oh, these people that created me, that have been around me 24-7 for me to breathe and for me to be alive, for me to be like, I need to get away from you, has to be a lot, right? Um, So I think it was more of a point where I just needed to step back in the situation and concentrate on me, right? Mm -hmm. Because the majority of time when you're upset at somebody, I feel like you're constantly like, you did something wrong, you did something wrong, instead of just being like, I'm going to put you over there. I'm just going to work on me and what's yes. going on with me. Like, that's the most important thing I can do right now. Right, because it's it's always a dynamic. And yes. while one person may be responsible for a bulk of the toxicity, the other person also is probably not bringing their A game in terms of <laughs> setting boundaries, yes. giving people consequences when the boundaries yeah. are crossed, right. stuff like that, expressing their needs. Correct. Yeah. So first time I met you, do you remember what you were wearing and why we talked, why we immediately kicked off, became friends? I don't. You were wearing a Blackhawks sweater. And right. immediately I was like, hockey fan, hockey fan. I was like, I'm from Chicago. You're like, I'm from Chicago. And I was like, boom, <laughs> like yes. we're in this and I understand it. Um, so my family's from Chicago. Uh, my my father, there's five kids. Um, I have two brothers, uh, two sisters. Um, and that whole sort of lifestyle of living in Chicago, I had a family around me, grandparents, uncles, aunts, or what have you. And then when I turned six, we moved to Colorado. And at that point... And you're how old? S- right now? Yeah. I'm 30. 30. I'm 30. Okay. So at six, I moved to Colorado. And that's when I really got into hockey, the Colorado Avalanche, just moved to Colorado. That was a big deal. And I think as a child, um, the person I'm named after, Keith Kingbay, is my great-grandfather. He's in the Bicycling Hall of Fame. So, like, this really? this is, like, the one person that I'm, like, my family's, like, we love this person. And I think the moment he passed away, my family was, like, I'm done with you guys. Like, I didn't see my uncles anymore. I didn't see my cousins. I didn't see anything like that. So he was kind of the glue that held everybody together? Yeah. I believe that... Well, I know that my parents had dysfunctional parents, dysfunctional family as well. And I feel like dysfunction and trauma, um, it's like a waterfall. Like, unless you address it, it's just going to keep down sinking onto the next person. You have another child. You create life. It's like if you don't work on you, it's just going to not stop. Was there trauma in your in your family? I, in, in my personal family, yes. In what happened with them, I don't really know what's the truth and what's not the truth. Or what have you. Um, my parents' parents were awful to them, and they were awful in their own different ways, and like abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. My dad hasn't not worked a job since he was like six, and he just worked every single day, works his ass off, isn't earned. Like, he is the American dream of just like, right. I worked, I went to school, I went to college, I earned what I earned, basically. Right. And that was instilled in him forever where he's just like, my family's not going to take care of me. My father's not going to take care of me. I need to work to make sure right. that I'll survive. And and does is his work compulsive or is it necessary that he works as many hours as he does? I can't tell you. I couldn't tell you. Like That, that is, is the American question. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it really is. Uh, talking to my therapist, one of the things that she uh, kind of hipped me to is this quadrant uh, where you look at your life in in various quadrants. You look at your health. You look at the amount of love. Yeah. There's another quadrant, your work and your play. Correct. And 
a lot of times I think we deify yeah. people whose work quadrant is off the charts. Right. But, you know, do they know their kid's favorite movie? Yeah. You know, absolutely. can they be silly with the family dog? You know, nothing's nothing was sadder than even my father being like, I didn't get to hang out with you guys. I didn't get to spend every day. Like, I've just been working. But in his head, he's like, I'm working for you. And a lot of time I was like, I don't think you are. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's a certain point where you are. But all that extra time that you don't see me, it's not for me. Yeah, the That's kids, for you. Kids aren't like, Dad, make it 72 hours a week so we can have a marble <laughs> fountain. <laughs> no. Pretty like, yeah, I got all the stuff. I need you to get me, like that sort of thing. I think it was a lifestyle that my parents were pushing. Like, we need to have a nice house. Our kids need to go to private school. They need to, like, do all these sorts of things. And meanwhile, we're like, we don't want any of this. Just, like, hang out with us. Like, you know what yes. I mean? Like, that was more of what we wanted. But I felt like they just kept chasing that American dream, like, bigger, 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 bigger. And I feel like it went inward of, like, what do we want? And then what's going on with the kids, it doesn't necessarily, like, matter, but it does matter. It's, like, a hard distinguishing line for me to be, like, you know, it's your, it's all your fault. Everything that's bad has ever happened to me. It's all your fault. I don't do anything wrong. It's, like, obviously, that's not the truth. That's not at all what it is. But there has to be some respect. There has to be some give, and there has to be some take. You have to be transparent, basically. And there was a lot of times in my life where they just weren't transparent. I got to the point where I'm, like, this is really unhealthy for me to be part of, mm -hmm. just in general for me, because now I'm going through my issues. And a family's supposed to be like, hey, can I call you? Can I talk about what's going on with me? Like, I don't want to blow up at my office or whatever. You know what right, I mean? Yeah. And I can't even talk to you. I can't even, like, call my parents to calm down. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, then who do I call? What do I do? And then it's like, at that point, it's like, oh, I'm just by myself. So I have to learn how to be okay. With that being the choice and that being the option. Enter video games. <laughs> <laughs> and video games have been a thing that's just been part of my life forever. And I didn't realize how big of attachment I had to video games until I got older. I mean, if you told me when I was like 10 that I'd have a podcast where I get paid to talk about video games with celebrities and stuff like that, I'd be like, who are you? What's a podcast? And that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. um, and honestly, it got to a point the first video game I ever played was Mario and Duck Hunt. That was on the NES. It was the Super Nintendo system that came out in 88, 87. My God, I had that one as well. There you go. Yeah, that was the first game I ever played. And I remember just like, I don't know what it was. It was, I can make the movie do what I want the movie to do as a child. Like, you know what I mean? Right. As like a little kid, you don't really know. Here, I have some control and a sense of my ability yeah. in, in my life. Yeah. It's, it's, it's and I'm part, we're all around this television. We're all enjoying it and laughing and taking turns playing this yes. game. It's like, it's where you're now shutting off for a moment from whatever crazy stuff's happening in the, in the kitchen where they're yelling at each other, but we don't even know really cognizantly in like what they're saying or what they're talking about. We just enjoy playing Mario or playing a game, basically. Yeah. I mean, when kids come over now, they come over to their parents' house, they see friends. I mean, for Christmas, Thanksgiving, they're all playing the Switch or they're all downstairs like playing a game with each other and having fun and laughing and then come upstairs for food or what have you. It's like yeah. a constant thing. Um, and so I know for games for me... It was every game was different for what I attach myself to, right? So like hockey games, I'm like, oh my God, this is what I do. 
This is my, like, these are all the players that I look up to and I get to be them and I get to trade, like, I get to be in charge of that. And so you were on the first NHL games <laughs> when they came out. What was that? NHL 97? 94. I remember playing with my brother and the Hartford Whalers were there, all the old hockey teams and things like that. Oh my God, that must have been so primitive back it's then. So primitive, but NHL 94 is still considered the NHL hockey game to play. Everyone still talks about it. It's like when Jeremy Roenick was actually, Jeremy Roenick is a hockey player. And they made these couple games where the players on certain teams would just be unbeatable, like right. freakishly good. Like Jeremy Roenick, he just would score eight goals a game. You couldn't stop him, basically. Like yeah. the Blackhawks in 94 were amazing. And I didn't know any of that, but I had the game because I'd play with my brother and we'd go yeah. play roller hockey or something like that together. So it was like video games together, playing hockey together. It was like I'm not realizing how much this has partake in my life where i now go to school and i'm like i now i'm friends with the guys who play video games I'm like you know what i mean because now we have something to relate with and things like that yeah. and i'm this jock guy who's playing like hockey and all this stuff but really i just want to like talk about kids in the hall i want to talk about video games and all sort of stuff so like i never really fit in perfectly like with what i look like or who where i am you know where i surround myself with because all the hockey players just spell like rah, 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 alpha, alpha, alpha. And I'm like, I want to talk about this everlasting like kingdom game. <laughs> it's like right. kings and there's RPGs and stuff like that. It's just yeah. a different mentality. <laughs> yeah, the, the vibe in a locker room is, is <laughs> whatever it. the opposite of vulnerability was. <laughs> and just to, just to kind of prove my point one time, I, and I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but during a moment of silence in, in the locker room, I just said kind of loudly, man, I am really loving the great British baking show. <laughs> and one of the guys goes, you did not just say that. See, and I said, yes, I did. And I'm comfortable with my masculinity. See, people listening, they're like, that's funny. That would get zero laughs. And they'd be like, Paul, are you okay? <laughs> like, they'd just yes. be like, what's wrong? <laughs> yes. As if the two are mutually exclusive. Right. As if we can't have, you know, both of those part. Everybody is so, most people are so, are so complex. So let's just back up a little bit. What were the negative self-beliefs that you had about yourself growing up? What were the, the kind of the world views that, that you're trying to shake now or how you related to other people or felt about, felt about yourself? What were the kind of the battles? Um, so I've always been a terrible student and not in a sense of, I don't know if I was really depressed and no one could tell because I just didn't know what was going on with me. Because I go to class and teachers liked me. Like, they're like, he's very nice. He pays attention. Like, he mm -hmm. makes jokes. He's a class clown. But, like, in math, like, he pays attention. He writes books. Like, he does it all. Mm -hmm. He goes home. He does not do schoolwork. Like, he just doesn't. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't want to do schoolwork. Because I'd get home and I would just be, like, depressed. Like, and not knowing I'm depressed. I'm like, I don't want to do Were anything. you depressed at school as well? I was depressed everywhere. Like, I didn't. I reached a point where I felt like life is hell. Like mm -hmm. I was on this AAA hockey team uh, in Colorado Springs. It was the first time Colorado had a AAA hockey team. So in AAA hockey, that's like the highest youth hockey you can play. And hockey in general is just a very intense sport. Once you get to 13, that's like, are you going to the NHL or are you not going to the NHL? Like that's right. how serious it is. And I wasn't doing well in school. I don't think I had any, very many friends at that point. I like, I feel like something was like, 
overtaken me and I wasn't aware what it was, but I had like no friends. I was playing on this team at the Air Force Academy, literally for drill sergeants. And they would like say the meanest shit they could think of to me. And I'm like 13 years old. Like what? Can you remember some like, of this stuff? You're a piece of shit. Like this is why you're garbage at hockey. Like in my face, screaming at like, I'm already nervous because I go home and I'm already nervous. I see all of that as constructive and helpful. <laughs> I've got to take. I've got to take exception. I'm a little disappointed that they, they didn't put push their palm in your face, and that's why you didn't make the NHL. Yeah, just it was. But I'm just like I'm. That is just, horrifying. It's horrifying, but like yes. you don't realize it's horrifying because people in my life were like, "This is what it is." Like, get tough, right? Like, girl, and I'm just like, I can't. I really need somebody to like hug me, mm-hmm. basically, and. I felt like I was just surrounded by people who were just either so enwrapped with their own lives or what's going on with them that they were either like, you're just, we don't want to deal with you. Like you're just too much of an issue. And I really felt like I'm not like an issue, like something's like wrong with me. And I feel like you're all just being angrier at me when I'm clearly already sad. Yeah. Like, but nobody's approached me to be like, look, you're depressed or like you have this. Like I remember like, or leaving. kid, what's, what's going on? Talk yes, to me. How are things going? at home? Some, yeah. And I feel like either they did know or they didn't know like what the situation was. Like either they, my the school knew that my family was like a lot to deal with and they didn't want to deal with it. Like there was no transparency. So basically like there was points in my life where I'm just like, oh, I feel like I'm nothing. And then I got kicked out of that school. And I was in a point where I was just living. Why did they kick you out? Just over years of time of me just like, I'm just, I've checked out mentally, yeah. like basically. And so it wasn't hockey related. It was academic no, related. Yeah, it was academic related. And it wasn't because I wasn't, I, they can like the world convinced me that like, I'm unintelligent, like you're not an intelligent person yeah. basically. And I like owned that where I'm like, Oh, I'm not intelligent. Like, I didn't realize how much I took upon what people told me what I am because I never spent time to understand my emotions and like, what do I think about myself? And and I'm going to take a wild guess that you had also never had much positive reinforcement to lay any kind of groundwork opposite to no. somebody telling you you're a piece of shit. No. Just the absence, even if you're, they're not telling you you're a piece of shit at home, the absence of any kind of encouragement or validation would make those comments sink in pretty quick. Yeah. I I mean, hockey was like, I'm good at something. Like that was like, that literally was like these coaches approach from parents. Like we think your kid's good at hockey. And they're like, what? Like, cause that's my thing when they're like, you go do this. That's like year one thing. And that was the one thing I'm like, I can control yeah. This, what what I, year did you start playing? I was playing when I was like seven. Yeah. And again, that's why I don't want to be like, my family's worse. I'm like, they drove me to hockey. Like, they right. paid for all my stuff. They paid for my equipment. Like, they pushed me to keep playing. Like, they let me play with my friends outside. Like, right. that's why it's hard to be like. I, and I think one of the things in in doing this podcast that, that I hope to get across is that we're we're not demonizing people, especially parents, but we're just talking about the effects of, of maybe them not having the ideal coping skills yes. or awareness, and they're just kind of continuing what they yes. learned. I That's like what I always try to take away from it, because I think the hardest part for them is to even just admit a little, like, I fucked up or I didn't call it right that time like i think it's impossible for them to admit it 
And it is hard to have vulnerability with somebody that is coming from that place. Yeah. It's impossible. It's, and therapy is the hardest thing you can do in the world because therapy is a mirror in front of you being like, what do you need to work on? What are your demons that you're not dealing with, that you're not admitting to yourself mm -hmm. that you need to work on? Yeah. And that's the that's literally like the hardest thing you can do. I think spinning a basketball on your a single <laughs> finger, I think, is harder. Because I've done both, I mean, you can and I still can't spin a basketball. You can line basketball. up with the Harlem Globetrotters will put on your finger. <laughs> There's a whole thing you yeah. can do. There's only six of them. There's a lot of people in therapy. <laughs> um, but, but yes, yeah. to face your demons is... Uh, is an act of bravery, and most of us, I think, head to therapy thinking, I failed. Yeah. Like, I'm just broken, and how can I fit? And it's like, no, it's not. That's not at all. Like, you have a different perception right now. You're taking your car for a tune-up. Yeah. That's, that's what like a that smart car owner would do. You know? I agree with you. It's like anybody's like, I don't need therapy. I'm like, your whole life you've never gone to therapy? I'm like, you should at least go talk to somebody who's not your family or somebody you know and be like, Here's about me and here's my life. So they can yeah. be like, well, did you think about this? Mm -hmm. It's like you don't get how much your subconscious is being active that you're not aware of it, how much your perception, how much somebody has a viewpoint on something that you just don't see. Yeah. And I wish I could tell – I could show that to my parents. Like, I love you. I know you've been abused and it was awful and you're hurt and you aren't fully healed from it. I'm aware can you say you're sorry sometimes? <laughs> like, yeah. that's it. It's like, that's... not like, kill yourself for me, give right. me your blood, just like, right. say you're sorry sometimes. Yeah. It's, it, it, it is, uh, it's crazy making too, if there's a parent that just, uh, you know, I tried to connect to my dad before uh, he passed away in, in 06. And I eventually had a moment of clarity that he was just not, reachable and i i had to kind of accept that this was what i was going to get from him which would be a kind of half there half not um not abusive by any means yeah. but just checked out yeah just checked out and kind of uncomfortable for the most part with having deep conversations unless it was something that he was actively interested in right so it would be about sports or maybe uh you know, what was happening in the world or business or, or, or something. And I think making that decision, if we have to, to say, okay, the well is dry. Right. I'm going to have to try to find love elsewhere. Yeah. And I, I'm like, how, how was that experience? Like, to, it wasn't just clear, like, oh, I now know. Was it just like, we or like like what was it there was two moments uh one was uh it was in, in 2000 and i had started doing a um radio show it was in the when the internet was kind of uh starting to be combined with broadcast radio and yeah. there was a um network called comedy world and I had just started learning how to use Pro Tools and record and edit. Yeah. And I bought a sound library of sound effects. And I was creating these sketches. And I was doing crank phone calls. And I, and I had this show on Comedy World that was really like my baby. I would pick a theme each week. And I would spend probably 40 hours uh, a week putting these sketches together. And, and I just really loved it. And I 
went home to visit and my dad picked me up at the airport and we were driving and I said, I want to place, you know, some samples for you of stuff that I, uh, have been doing on my radio show. And, um, and it stopped playing and there was just silence in the car. And I, and I said, so what'd you think? And he went, I don't think it was your best work. And and I remember feeling like I got punched in the stomach because I wasn't looking for him to say, oh, my God, that's amazing. You're a comedy genius. I, you know, at the very least, I would have liked for him to have thought, boy, what went into putting all of this stuff together to ask me a question about it? How did you, you know, how did you get those sounds? Anything like that, I think, would have would have. I just wanted to feel seen by my dad in that moment. And I remember just kind of almost chuckling and looking out the window and going, why do I keep doing this? Uh, and that I think that was the last time that I tried to go to him for, for validation. And, and as far as having emotional conversations, uh, I, one time I was, he'd, he'd gotten sober. And so I thought, okay, you know, maybe the door is open a little bit now. And I was trying to talk to him and he just continued walking like five paces ahead of me. And I said, you know, dad, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to talk to you. And I don't remember what he said. It wasn't mean. It was just some form of, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about this or, uh, you know, this is, I, I don't even remember what he said, but it was, it was a rejection. And I just remember just like looking up at the sky, like, what the fuck do I have to do to try to connect to this guy? Um, and when he did pass away, I felt bad because I didn't really cry. I didn't have that many moments with my dad. I did eventually cry a few months later, but it's there just wasn't a whole lot there. He was checked out, you know. He was in his in his head. Um I'm sure you can probably relate <laughs> to uh to some of that. Um I I that was that's <laughs> I can relate to that and that emotion and that I that that you have with your dad, I feel like I have that more with my mom where there's just kind of like, I, I don't know how much of them is listening and how much of them is just right their own shit. Yeah. Kids can tell when a parent is present. Yeah. And, um, I, I did, I did a sketch comedy in New York, I did improv. Um, it's like this, this is why it's so hard for me because I don't want it. I don't want to vilify anyone. I don't make anyone sound bad. It's like, literally, it's like my whole family's life would have probably been a lot happier if we were just able to control my mom. Mm -hmm. Just just telling her no and not letting her, not even control, like just not letting her get her way with everything that made everyone so, so like crazy so she was she's kind of a force of nature she's, that outwills everybody she is the nature she is everything she is you uh it's it's really hard to describe and it's really hard to explain cuz i don't necessarily know cuz it's definitely narcissism that's mm -hmm. definitely in there it's 
it's like she reminds me so much of Donald Trump that it's crazy. Really? Because it's literally like she'll just lie, just lie, just a lie. She'll make herself seem better than she needs to be. She'll talk about how great she is just randomly to strangers and stuff like that. It's just like it's wow. it's unnecessary and it's embarrassing and it just was a lot in that sort of person like not really letting you go outside or hang out with people and you're just trapped in a house with this person. Why would she not let you go outside and play with people? I don't we live there was a point I was in Colorado Springs. I that's why like that point I was like, I feel like I'm living in hell. I lived in a gated community on Cheyenne Mountain. And again, like this is what sucks is I lived this privileged life. And not like super privileged, like I got it whatever I wanted or any of that sort of life. But like yeah, we lived in a gated community. I got to play ice hockey like we were part of a golfing community, basically, mm-hmm. like that life, basically. But I was never like getting all the best stuff. I was never asking for the best stuff, like any of that sort of stuff. So it's like, if I wanted to leave or go get food, like the closest thing is like four miles away and I'm on a mountain and my parents are vegan and they don't want to buy any meat or buy any food. So a lot of times I just would not have any food in the house to eat. And that was like a normal thing for me. And I felt like my mom was really depressed at the time and she would admit that she's depressed or something's going on with her. So if you're like, hey, can you drive me to my friend's house or something? She's just like, no. And like that was the expected answer. She's just going to say no. And it's like weird and I get it. It's like when we were part of a – in Denver, we lived in Denver for a while. We were part of a giant neighborhood. So I literally just walk outside and go somewhere and it's fine. Like no, it's – I do whatever I want. But the moment you're on a mountain and you're far away from anything and you don't – can't drive, it's just like you're stuck. Yeah. You got video games. It's funny, it's funny too, is if somebody were to drive by that, you know, that house or that neighborhood, they would think, God, those people are so lucky. Yeah. And you have no idea sometimes what, and I'm sure some of them are, some of them probably have great, you know, emotional well-being as right. well as financial well-being. But yeah, it's... Uh, My mom's family, same things. Like, she's like, I grew up with horses. I had this, I had that. Her whole family is like alcoholics and beating each other and doing messed up horrible things while they're riding the horses while they're riding the horses yeah yeah, yeah they're very the talented time. that's yes. what i'm trying to get across from this what time. you have to do is punch in stride <laughs> that's the key otherwise it'll buck you <laughs> yeah. no horses yeah. um so that's why it's like it's so hard to be like i don't want to call this person out for years of this and years of that it's just like you went through so much and that's what i was bringing up about, again, again my dad i know tangent um my dad was the first person that i was like i'm gonna do comedy and to Take your father, who's been working since he was six every day, nonstop, to sit him down and be like, mm, Dad. That's a hard sell. I want to tell dick jokes to people on right. stage. <laughs> and I was expecting him to be so pissed off and so angry or just like, dude, like Keith cut the shit or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he laughed and smiled and said, that's so awesome. He's like, when are you going to do it? And I was like, I did it last night. And he laughed even harder. And he was like, that's so awesome to hear. I'm so proud wow. of you. So it was like things like that where I'm like, dude, you're awesome. Like, why Why is it when we go back inside the house, it's crazy. It's just chaos again. Oh, so he would change when your mom was Yes. Ah. Uh. Yeah. So then it's like, okay, I don't have it. Like, you, it's like, it's almost like it's a Jekyll and Hyde parents was like we just had the conversation what happened it's like listen to your mother it's like come like come on man like it's like and if for that to be 30 years in a relationship is just like mm -mm. like years and years and years of let's have a conversation positive conversation now it's negative positive conversation it's like every time i got off the phone with my family my 
girlfriends, friends, whoever, be like, every time you have fun with your family, you're angry. Like you're gen- like you're very visibly angry. And I'm like, that's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good thing. That is not a good thing. Um, but I had so many games growing up at that time when I remember I was having worst time in my life. I was like living in hell in my brain. Um, I had a game called Final Fantasy VIII. And Final Fantasy is a JRPG series. It's a Japanese role-playing game. So uh, Final Fantasy is this massive popular series. And Final Fantasy VII is this big one. It essentially tells these stories. And every JRPG is the same story, which is really attractive teenager guy with the giant sword thing is told the world's going to end. He needs to go save the world. Meets up with cool friends. They're all really funny and interesting. They go fight demon person. Win game. Game's over, basically. But that's like a 100 hours of learning and stories and turns and music and things like that. And Final Fantasy VIII to me was like, I this like this is it. Like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I've now like, it's like you hear in Rolling Stones for the first time, or you hear the beat. Like that's how certain games feel like to me. That I'm like, oh my god! Like I'm now something s- clicks. Something just clicked. We're like this is for me. Yes, and subconsciously, it's I want to go kill my mom with my <laughs> with my big no, dick. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. Um, it was like mostly like, oh, I can attach. I I can relate to this person. Like I can relate to these things. Like I can attach myself to them, and I go on a story on a journey with them or whatever. And it's single player, so you're able to be like, how do I relate to this? And so many things about that with games, RPGs. People love RPGs because it's like that's me. Yeah, that's there's, me going there's through validation, it. there's identity, there's community, yeah. there's, you know, reward, there's building skills, <laughs> yes. there's escape. Yeah. And my favorite, the restart button. <laughs> you know? You do not want to press the restart button for a JRPG. That is a hundred hours of going back oh, to the- <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> um no, but you and I we talked about Civ. And yeah. so for the listeners that don't know what civilization is, civilization is a game where literally picture the map risk, picture the board game risk, and you start as a civilization where you have one piece and you have a settler and you basically create Japan, America, and you start from wherever and you have to go through democracy, you have to build technologies, you have to basically win in any way possible, shape or form. Where that means peace war science culture what trading happened. becoming trading. popular you know being uh just steamrolling people so being dropping s- nuclear warheads being yeah. so self-aware who you are as an entity as in am i the most popular person here oh that means people want to take me over mm-hmm. that means people are upset at me it's like oh am i poor that means people are gonna attack me like you have to be so self-aware the whole time who are you building relationships with what are you doing it's like that's a game that i can sit anyone in front of and they'll be like this is so much fun. It should come in a crack pipe. It's, yeah. so, it's so awesome. For, <laughs> for for anybody who's a control freak and a know-it-all, it's, it's nirvana because you get to decide how every penny is spent in your civilization. Are you going to build a temple so that people are more at peace or are you going to build more cannons so yeah. that you can go get, uh, you know, the silk uh, from the country next to you because that will make your people happy. Right, exactly. And picking whichever civilization. So if you're like, I'm Japan, it's like, okay, I got to get to samurais quickly before we get to gunpowder because people are going to have guns before I like, and that's a whole technology advancement and something like that. Yeah. And even just from that standpoint, you start to realize like, what kind of player am I? What do I want to do? Like, what's my goal? Um, but here's something that's fascinating because you told me you're like, 
ask my listeners uh, what's a game they relate to because I've told I tell this to my listeners all the time and they all relate they all agree with this which is if you get broken up with something bad happens like you're going through something rough that's the best time to pick up a massive adventure video game and oh, yeah. ju- and jump in so I I nuke everything in sight <laughs> when shit's going bad so I told you you told me you're like ask my listeners so usually when I ask my listeners a question it's like Hey guys, like, what's your favorite food or this? And I'll get like 20 responses or something. And I just ask, hey guys, which video game helped you get through a rough patch in your life? I got 50 responses of people with like legit, like, here's the game and here's why. Like, so many people being so, cause I told you, it's like video games for people, it's like they have so much anxiety that they like need a community. Like you're saying, like they meet games online, they meet friends online. I played a game called World of Warcraft. Now, if you remember that game, that was a game in the mid-2000s that was, you literally have another life. You get online, you are a mage, you are a warrior, what have you, and you are friends with somebody from Greenland or Iceland Mm -hmm. and Europe and New York and all this sort of stuff, and you are literally part of an actual community and stuff like that. So there are people in the Midwest, people can't really get out, who genuinely, like, these are their friends. That's reality. And so for so many people, it's like they can look at it like, oh, you play a video game at night or whatever. It's like I have work a regular job. I have all the stuff I have to do. Yeah, I have great friends all across the world. We play this game together. And I think at the time, you aren't aware of it. You might think like this is judgy or what am I doing? This is weird. Honestly, like nothing makes me sadder than seeing pictures of like World of Warcraft clans that just aren't there anymore like literally they'll take a picture as all their characters and waving to like the camera or whatever and then five years later there's half of them then yeah. five years later, there's half of that group and then the last picture is just one guy taking a picture by himself and it's like all those people were like genuinely friends yeah and talked to each other every night and knew everything about each other that's, that's a, an amazing that's feeling an amazing feeling yeah that's what i love about support groups Yeah. Anywhere where you feel like you can go and you're like, I'm not alone. Like, that is the best feeling to feeling like there. it's around me. I'm not feeling like, woe is me. What is the world? And and support groups are like a video game where your goal is to not die. (laughs) (laughs) It's very, very simple what the goal is. Yes. All right, we can call it there. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 what are what are some of the uh, some of the so, games? The game that I get we got constantly was this game called Skyrim. So, I'm going to give you guys Skyrim. Skyrim. Oh, Skyrim. Skyrim. Skyrim is a way different game. Uh, Skyrim uh, is Elder Scrolls game. So, Elder Scrolls is a series that's been going on for years. Um, and Skyrim is like if Sweden was mystical. It has giants. There's giant crabs. There's kingdoms. There's dragons or what have you. It's first person. It's third person. You can turn into a vampire. You can be a werewolf. You can adopt a child. You can like – it is the most expansive, peaceful game you will play. It is on every single console. It is on every single form of PC. It's on Mac. You can get it on Switch. You can get it on PlayStation. But this is a game that you can take at your own pace. 
you can literally, they go, hey, you need to go to this point. And you can go, no, and just go pick flowers. Like You can do literally anything you want. This is a game where they actually have a famous YouTuber. This woman's 80 years old, and she's playing Skyrim, and she's taking people through her game and showing them, like, what is she doing in the game? Like, she's able to connect with people online just from playing Skyrim. So it it is, it is the intent of it is to soothe people and to take them to a place that's kind of safe and and i think what is the goal of the game the goal of the game essentially so these they create these games called sandboxes so sandboxes are basically like you can do whatever you want like it is a massive massive land piece and there's a bunch of quests turn over the statues yeah if something's underneath go to this kingdom like we need your help to go attack this thing it's like we need you to go trade with these people there is a massive massive civil war that we need you to get to so it's like mist yeah it's mist but way more action like way more complex and there's huge stories and there's lots of armor you can craft you can make food like you can literally do anything you want in the game and you can be an elf you can be an orc whatever you want to do basically. essentially step out of your life step it's dungeons and dragons for real and you don't have to play with any you don't it's literally like whatever you want to do that day yes and everything about it is fascinating like I, there's that because i listeners people genuinely want to get into games or don't know how to get into games like pc games what have you i'm going to give you a bunch of different choices to choose from that are all different variations because Somebody might not like, like, a first person or finding a horse or that might be too much. Like, I understand. Video games for some people are like, this is a lot. There's inventory and there's a sword and there's a house or whatever. It's like, this is too much. So um, if you just want to genuinely get into games, I recommend the Switch, uh, which is a console by Nintendo. Nintendo's been around forever and they make phenomenal games. Um, If you don't ever played a game before, I highly recommend Mario Odyssey. That is the brand new Mario game. And the whole gimmick is Mario has a hat. That's it. That's that's literally what Nintendo games do, was they go, let's give Mario a hat. That'll be what's fun about him. So whatever Mario throws his hat on top of, he becomes that thing. Oh, wow. So this game is basically a celebration of Mario games. Like, when you play it, I literally got butterflies in my stomach when I was playing it. Because every little thing you do in the game just shows you another part of the Mario universe. It's like, remember this? It's like that mm. feeling of it. Remember, like, when you were younger? Remember when you played this game? Remember when you played the very first Mario? They surprise you with that feeling. The mushrooms are back? Mushrooms are back. I mean, I don't want to spoil a lot for you, but okay. genuinely, you'll get to a point where you'll be like, oh, like, I had to stop the game multiple times to turn to my writing partner, my podcast partner, Jesse, to be like, you got to be kidding me <laughs> Like with this right. game. He's like, I know. Like, he had to sit there and watch me play it so he could watch my reaction to be like, oh, my God, like, these guys. Because yeah. Nintendo, there's so many different gaming companies and what have you. There's personalities, right? Because I think... I think when people think of video games, they think of, like, bongs and Call of Duty or whatever, and kids are just, like, throwing their lives away. And I'm like, you're not thinking about Mario or Nintendo. Nintendo's like the Disney of video games. There's no violence. There's no, like, death or anything about that. It's like Mario Party's like, get your grandma, get the youngest kids, all play a game together. Like, that's what Nintendo pushes for you, basically. Um, And Switch and Nintendo, they're now the thing. Like, Switch, you can play on the... Switch is a console? Switch is a console where it's basically an iPad. You can take it with you on the plane, and you can play with people on the Mm. plane. Like, it is the brand new thing that you do, basically. Like, I was working for a company for a little while, and literally everyone around me had a Switch. If they weren't working, they pull out the Switch, and they start playing the games. (laughs) 
How long has Switch been around? Because I've never even heard of it. This is like a year and a half. Oh, okay. So it's, it's pretty new. It's uh, it's pretty new. And it's starting to get all like the brand new console games out there and stuff like that. Um, and then for indie games, there's a lot of indie games. So even if you don't want to spend a lot of money, you can get on your PC, you can get on your Mac, and you can just download Steam. And there's tons of indie games. And the one that I highly recommend to you is Firewatch. Firewatch is a game. There's no shooting. There's no killing. There's no attacking. There's no like real complicated things about it. What it is, is you are on Firewatch and you are talking to one person. It's this woman who's in the other tower across <laughs> the wilderness who can see you and talks to you. That's it. You're just talking to one person and she's asking you to go through this. And what it is, um, spoiler alert for the first 10 minutes of it, it's this man and he's telling the story. And he meets this woman at a bar. He meets her at Boulder in Colorado. He's a little bit drunk. And they get together. And they give you choices. Like, what kind of dog do you want to get together? What do you say to her when you meet her? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's like, she wants this dog. It's like, okay, let's get the little dog instead of, like, Dover and Pincher. There's a point where somebody attacks you on the street. You would fight them back, that sort of thing. You guys love each other. You go through fights. You go back and forth or what have you. And then there gets to a point where she really can't remember you. She has early onsets, Alzheimer's, dementia, and she can't really remember you. And there's going to get to a point where you know she's not going to know who you are anymore. And this guy has to, was kind of taking a break from his relationship and his life. And he has this world where he's like, I'm just going to go do Firewatch for the summer. I'm just going to get like away mm-hmm. from this and figure my life out. So it's about this man, faceless. You don't know what he looks like. It's just you. And you're, you, you are that man. You are that man. And you are making the choices. What do you say? What do you do? What is going on? And you're approaching this mystery of what's going on. Like somebody, something's going on at this camping ground and you don't know what. And the whole game is about loss. And it's about who you are and where you still see yourself after going through so much emotion, so much anxiety, something that real. I mean, wow, I had no idea there were games like, like that. That's, that's what I'm talking about. It's like when people, they think about video games. They think about the fucking college kids with the bongs. Heads and like, exploding. Vi- yeah. Just, yeah, just, just gross stuff. And it's like, no, you can tell amazing stories with video games. How many pitches, I, how many shows, pitches have you gone on? I've gone on where you pitch something that just does get made. It's like, cool, I'm just going to tell my story through this medium then. It's right. like, you can go do that. It's like... I'd rather do that than watch another documentary on murder on Netflix or whatever. That's where we differ. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, yes, it's, I do. I it's, do. It's, there's lots of games like this. It's just called a walking simulator. So literally, like, you are just experiencing the game. And it's literally like you have a map. You have to figure out how to get back to where you're going, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's genuinely a lot of fun. And I Man, you just it. light up when you talk about uh, video games. <laughs> you just you just come alive. Like, the color in your face changes. It's it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. It's really a beautiful thing. I, it's... Man, it's hard, right? So I'm, I'm old. It's, I'm older, so it's embarrassing for, for me. Like, fuck, I, like, I don't know how many women my age are like, you play video games? And I'm like... Yeah, how many hours of Game of Thrones did you watch last night? Like, what is like, right. whatever you're doing with your time doesn't necessarily mean like you're addicted to it. You're going to be doing it all the time. But if you enjoy it, you shouldn't be embarrassed by it. Right. And and I think that brings up another great topic, which is how do we know when something is, you know, soothing and healthy or compulsive and you know ultimately corrosive? 
it's when you're doing it when you don't think you want to do it or need to do it, right? It's like the repetitiveness of like, no, this is what I do, right? I just turn on the game and I'm not even smiling anymore when I play it, like that right. sort of thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to play eight more hours of World of Warcraft. It's like, look, you don't. Like, no. Like, something's clearly... You're, you're avoiding something, feelings. Something's something. going on, yeah. yeah. Um, but as somebody who's been part of video games and defending them, like, I will straight up, if a video game's awful, call it out for being awful and all the horrible practices, if it's sexist, if it's racist, homophobic, like, whatever it is, I will call it out. But I am the first one to defend video games when people just need to give it an easy reason to blame something. Like... I I lived in Colorado when Columbine happened. Like, I was there, and they blamed it on GoldenEye. They blamed it on a James Bond video game for, like, the shootings and stuff like yeah. that. Like, it was a very easy cop-out. And video games get that rap, which is, like, they're addicting. They're really bad for you. You don't learn anything from it. You can't get anything from it. And obviously, you would know when you're like, I am playing this game for too long. Like, it is dark out. I didn't do any. Like, maybe you can do that one time or whatever and then own it or whatever. But if you're doing that frequently, yeah, you're depressed. Like, something's going on. And just check in with yourself. Whatever you're doing, video games, smoking a lot of cigarettes, smoking a lot of weed, drinking, whatever. Calling the same girl every time, like every like five minutes or whatever. Like you need to check yourself, basically. Yeah. Always being self aware of like what am I doing? Where am I going? What's going on underneath? Yeah, like these, what these am I behaviors? What am I really doing, or what am I really trying to get at? And so, what's your go to if you're in a place where you're, I don't know, feeling sad or down? So I. I'm, a, I'm like, I need to go on a run. I need to go play hockey. I need to go physically go do something to get out of my brain. Because, like, I love video games, but sitting there, I'll get to a point where I'll just start thinking and start thinking and start thinking. And I'm like, I need some music. I need something else. I need talk to somebody. But it's like your vices have to be whatever you genuinely want to do. If you feel like, I don't want to go do this thing, like somebody's like, go for a run. And you're like, I don't want to go for a run. Then don't go for a run. Find something you actively want to do that's not the thing that is currently destroying you, basically. That that sounds like good advice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it it, it it seems so obvious on no, the I surface. No, I know, right, because you can't see it. You can't see it. You that's can't exactly see it. it. We can't. We need moments to step outside ourselves. And I think that's why meditation is such a great thing, because it can give you sometimes distance from your thoughts and your feelings enough to go, oh, wow, I'm really sad or I'm really worried about this, uh, you know, project at work because it's the only thing that keeps popping in my head right. as I'm sitting here meditating. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's yeah, it's literally anything. Right. It's just, it could just be work and not realizing it's just right. work. And like people do it all the time where they're like, I worked 14 hours yesterday. And I'm like, are, are you bragging or like, is that's not good? Did you sleep? <laughs> like, are you OK? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I think that's like with games, obviously it's like, yeah, they can be addicting. Yeah. You can play them for too long. Yes. Uh, yes. There are negative games out there. Yes. But for the n fully negative view that video games get is not fair. In my yeah. Opinion. So it's like saying baseball's bad because of Ty Cobb was a racist. <laughs> yes. It's like throw it all under the butt. Just right. get rid of all of it. And then bringing up sports, they do it all the time in sports now where they'll be like, Video games took off. This game called Fortnite. Right? Fortnite was an anomaly. People were literally doing the dances from this video game at the World Cup. They were doing it for, like, touchdown dances and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. this game was so freaking massive, right? It's mm -hmm. crazy. And people, like, coaches and GMs are like, 
oh, he's not playing that well. He's playing too many video games and stuff like that. Like they like call it out, right? It, call, it gets called out all the time. And I'm like, dude, how many times did that guy go out drinking? Or like how many times did that guy like go partying too hard? Like he's 22 years old. He's a millionaire. He should right. be inside playing video games. Right. That's the <laughs> like, you want him to be inside. Right. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's out making paternity suits. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would love if you would make a list of video games that you think would be good for listeners, um, you know, and maybe put, you know, like, here's a good one if you want something that's kind of peaceful yeah. and Puzzles. open-ended. Here's yeah. something if, you know, you, you want something that's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. I'll and send people can find your podcast. Uh, it's called uh, New Player is Joined. Yes. And where can they find it? You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere that you guys listen to podcasts. Okay. And anything else? Uh, what's your social media handle? Uh, you can find me at Keith King Bay on Twitter and Keith King of Bays on Instagram. Uh, and yeah, just find me on our podcast. Come listen to it. And even if you don't like video games, that's the great thing about our podcast is a lot of people that come on. They aren't necessarily the biggest gamers in the world, but we have lots of fun and we're able to talk about a game that we love in detail. So yeah. check I, it out. I, I loved uh, going on your podcast. It was a lot of fun. Come back and talk about golden tea. Uh, actually, <laughs> what you and I are going to do right now is, is gonna... <laughs> we're going to go play a round of golden yes. tea. All right. Thanks, Keith. Thank you. Many, many thanks to, to Keith, and be sure to check his uh, his podcast out. Uh, before we take it out with some surveys, uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Calm. If you guys have never checked out Calm, it's a really cool app to deal with stress and anxiety. It helps you meditate, helps you sleep. Uh, more than 40 million people around the world have downloaded the Calm app, and if you go to Calm dot com slash mental you get 25 percent off a calm premium subscription which includes guided meditation on issues like anxiety stress and focus including a brand new meditation each day uh, sleep stories which people love uh, they're bedtime stories for adults designed to help you relax and i can tell you firsthand they do um, you can go to the lavender fields of southern France with Stephen Fry, who's an amazing narrator. Uh, you can explore the moonlit jungles of Africa with Leona Lewis. And they also have tons of other stuff, soothing music, etc. So right now, you guys get 25% off a Calm Premium subscription at calm.com slash mental. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash mental. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash mental. Get calm and stop stressing. Today's episode is also sponsored by Veridesk. It's the world's leading standing desk solution, helping professionals maintain a healthy, active lifestyle in the office or at home. Uh, Veridesk converts any desk into a standing desk, and it's designed with durable, best-in-class materials that fit in any environment or workspace. With Veridesk, you can easily go from sitting to standing, and you increase your productivity, your focus, and your collaboration. It comes with a 30-day risk-free guarantee, and there's no assembly required. That's huge. They also cover shipping both ways. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up. Veridesk is trusted by 98% of Fortune 500 companies and has over 14,000 five-star reviews from professor professionals from professionals all over the world. Stay focused on what matters with Veridesk. And to learn more about Veridesk Standing Desk Solutions, visit 
veridesk.com slash work elevated. That's V-A-R-I-D-E-S-K dot com slash work elevated. Maximize your productivity at veridesk.com slash work elevated. And we'll put the links to all the stuff we mentioned on the podcast. Um, this is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Oxy. And she writes, I was waiting at a bus stop in Aia, Napa, Cyprus. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. Aia, Napa, Cyprus. When suddenly a tall, burly man on the sidewalk started seizing. Some bushes softened his landing as the petite blonde woman that was with him gracefully knelt to the ground to hold his head so it wouldn't hit the concrete while his body twisted and turned. All the while, she was making sure the chocolate ice cream cone she was holding in her left hand wouldn't stain her white summer dress and her bright magenta jacket. As the man convulsed on the ground, people all around started staring, feeling weird that nobody was helping the couple. But the calm, focused, borderline bored expression on the woman's face let me know that this happened all the time and there was really nothing anybody could do. She looked almost annoyed that this sickness dared to interrupt their beach vacation on Cyprus. The man was wheezing loudly now, choking on the white foam coming out of his mouth. The convulsions calmed down a little, but then reappeared full force. His hands flew above his head in a wide, smooth motion, as if he had just woken up and was stretching, but in a disturbing, morbid way. Finally, the convulsion stopped, and the blonde lady gingerly put the man's head onto the ground to let him come to. She put his flip-flops back on his feet, picked up his sunglasses, stood up, and took a bite out of the melting ice cream she was nonchalantly balancing in her left hand this whole time. That was like a little movie. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. This is a shame and secret survey. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Broken Vagina. She is... And she only partially filled it out. She is uh, straight in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused. Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? She uh, says, not sure. Uh, I would say she definitely was. It's unbelievable what people will say. I'm not sure if that is abusive or not. Abuse uh, has a heavy stigma, but what I went through is not intentional, but was stressful. It doesn't matter whether or not it was intentional. Uh, She made it, uh, my mother was always hypocritical of, hypercritical of me about all aspects of my life. She made it impossible to make a decision because I would always get blamed for any choice. I mean, if I took one route home versus another route and we got traffic, she would blame me. Growing up, I didn't understand that this wasn't normal, so I thought it was all my fault that I wasn't paying attention more or wasn't a better daughter. I responded a lot by arguing and being rude, which is why I felt like I was the one in the wrong. My parents continually placed doubts in us. When we wanted to try out a new sport or something kind of difficult, they would always ask things like, are you sure you'll be able to handle that or do it? And they would always tear me apart for not having enough confidence academically. This translated into my adult life where I was very indecisive about everything. Friends would even make fun of me about it, which was very annoying considering they didn't understand why I was this way. I struggled a lot in college with with confidence academically and couldn't figure 
what I liked or should do because of my parents' voice in my head. Eventually, I went to a clinical psychologist mainly because of my vaginismus, but she helped me tremendously with my anxiety, lack of confidence, and fear of being judged. Any positive experience with the abusers? I wouldn't label my parents as abusers, but they were always really kind and supportive when I really needed their help. They do a lot for me. Uh, would drop everything to come help me out in need. They would buy me groceries and paid for my wedding, even though they had a lot of financial issues. You know, to, to which I want to say, I, you know, and I'm not trying to label your parents as anything. I'm just trying to give weight to what you experienced because a lot of people will say, I don't need to process that because they did some nice things for me. I had a great childhood. Um, Darkest thoughts, I often think about being with other men, mostly men who are very different from my husband, men who are really sexy and more of a bad boy type. I sometimes wish he would die or divorce me so I could explore other relationships, but I feel terrible because we love one another and he's supported me through a lot. It also wouldn't be possible considering that I have vaginismus and I can't really be with other men. Darkest secrets. At this moment, it would be the vaginismus. No one knows I have it. I've been married for over two years. I really, really urge you to let your husband know. That is a big thing to go through on your own. And, you know, secrets and lack of communication really, really negatively affect relationships, especially marriages. Uh, and if you hasn't, haven't listened to the episode with Becky Feldman, um, I would do that because that deals with uh, uh, vaginismus. And a lot of people found that episode to be helpful and illuminating. I know a lot of women that deal with uh, vaginismus feel very, very isolated and alone in what they struggle with. Thank you for sharing that. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself Mods. And uh, she struggles with depression and bulimia and a snapshot from her life. After purging for a while, it gets harder. And now I need to use a toothbrush to gag myself. And my passive aggressive self always uses the toothbrush of the person that hurt me most that day. Any comments to make the podcast better? I would love to hear an episode about quiet BPD if you haven't done one yet. I think she's referring to uh, the borderline personality disorder where... Um, it it's not outward but it's turned inward ratherly ratherly rather and it's it's in the back catalog uh so if you haven't downloaded it um you probably wouldn't be able to but there's an episode with um Anne from Berlin and she she has that um that was that was really unhelpful yes we have an episode but you can't access it this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself, what the fuck is wrong with me? He's straight in his 40s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. I was molested by an older boy in Cub Scouts. I have so much unresolved guilt that it was all my fault. He's also been emotionally abused. I had a mom who, was, who emotionally incested me and a dad who was a very angry alcoholic. Any positive experiences with the abusers? They are my parents, so yeah. Darkest thoughts, killing myself. But I might act out on that, not today. Deepest secrets, 
Lately, I've been hitting myself hard. It's becoming a bit of a compulsion that I don't want to do. Then I do it anyway and feel shame. Typical addiction cycle. I'm a sex addict in recovery, and all my acting out was reenacting my abuse experience with men, even though I'm straight. And and that is actually uh, a lot more common than you would think that it is. And um, all this stuff that you're describing, you you are not alone in it. I've read thousands and thousands of these surveys, and I've been to thousands of support group meetings, and have friends that, you know, I talk to and, you know, the important thing is that you are in recovery and you're reaching out for help. That is fucking huge. And that is just brave, man. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I just feel bad about any sexual fantasies. Well, my hope is that if you continue to recover, um, maybe you'll get in touch with that part of you. Um, that got shut off when you were a kid because it wasn't safe. What, if anything, do you wish for? To accept myself as I am. Boy, that is one of the hardest things in life. Have you shared these things with others? No. How do you feel after writing these things down? Better. Uh, if you haven't shared these things with uh, anybody you trust in your support group, I really encourage you to to do that. Um. And you know, you the name you used is what the fuck is wrong with me? I would say nothing is wrong with you. You're just wounded, but you're in recovery and you're working on healing and you sound like a good guy and I think you're a fucking warrior. So there. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself, I know my forehead is big. What's the joke? My, my forehead is so big, it's a five head. Uh, the summer after my freshman year of college, I was raped in a concert parking lot. I wanted to kill myself for a while after that. I dealt dealt with it for several months in good ways and bad. Meditation versus bodily, bottling things up so much, I went to the hospital for GI issues. Uh, she had an issue with a guy who was in the army. Uh, by September of that year, I found out my favorite band was going to be coming to my state. My sister knew I had had a traumatic experience at a concert, but knew I didn't want to miss them and wanted me to know she'd go with me if I decided to do so. We went. I'll never forget when they played my favorite song and 5,000 people surrounding me knew all the words and were singing them with me. I was never so grateful for facing my fear of continuing to live with the small hope that I'd ever feel joy again. In that moment, I knew that suffering was imminent, but as long as I still had a pulse, I could always choose to feel the pain and still seek out joy, even if I didn't know it would come. Sometimes the choice to seek uh, seek it out is the joy itself. Boy, that is a profound statement. And, and what a great example of how we can be experiencing two things at the same time and neither singularly define us. I shared my experience with my sister. It's now six years later, and I am three weeks away from marrying my best friend. For months, my mom and sister told me to keep March 30th open for a mini bachelorette party with them. On March 28th, my mom called me over to her house to help with a chore. When I walked in, the sister, who went to the concert with me in 2013 and now lives 14 hours away, was sitting on the couch waiting for me as a surprise. It turned out... That for the last year, my family was banding together to buy me tickets to see the same band and were taking me on a road trip there the next day. 
I have tears in my eyes now thinking about how special it is to be thought of that way and how if I had chosen to take my own life, which was my choice and felt valid, they'd still think of me, but it would be in a much different way. I'm not always happy, but I'm always grateful I gave myself the opportunity to keep seeing what this joy thing is all about. I think it's because I've known how appealing it seems to die that I can feel the depths of joy too. I'm in my second of three years of grad school now to become a mental health counselor, and I can't wait to meet people in this exact place and maybe someday watch their own versions of this unfold. People are fucking beautiful, and I'm so glad I get to think of them the way my people have thought of me. I hope if anyone reads this, that pain is valid, and it isn't your job to pull yourself out of it, but it is always within your power to know you are worthy of seeking joy, too. Wow. Wow. I'm speechless. That was just so deep and eloquently describing the complexity of joy and pain existing at the same time and that leap of faith to keep going even when we don't want to wake up in the morning. You know, the alternate name for this podcast could have been, I wish I died in my sleep. (laughs) This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself Curiosity Killed the Cat. And about her depression, she writes, swimming in a sea with no land in sight, deep sighs of despair and an unsettling need to constantly try to make myself more busy. About her alcoholism and drug addiction, I cannot stop trying to escape reality with the use of marijuana. It feels like a crutch that I cannot put down. About her codependency, I will stop at nothing to try to help the one I love, even if that means dishing out extreme hurt to try to change their ways. And that's not help. That's trying to control. You know, that's trying to play, that's trying to play God, but it feels in the moment, you know, because, because we are so assured that our, our way is the only way that we think it's love that we're pushing them and it's such a there's such a gray area too between enabling and helping this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself smiling through shame she is uh pansexual in her 30s, raised in a totally chaotic environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. Uh, I honestly just have started realizing how many times that I've been sexually assaulted in my life that I have passed off as, quote, play in the past. The events and people vary, but it all revolved around being groped or touched inappropriately, and this happened from seven until my teens when I was in foster care. I also have a vague repressed memory from my youth that I have currently been working on remembering through therapy. I've been used so much and it's humiliating and infuriating that I could not speak out about it for fear of not being believed by others. Furthermore, in my youth, because I believed these things were play and were normal, I would later go on to abuse my brother and nephew, which led me to be put in the foster care system when I finally felt comfortable telling a therapist about my experiences. My assault led to me abusing loved ones, and I hate myself for it. Uh, I hate myself for it still 13 years later. 
I shouldn't blame myself for my actions considering that I didn't know until I was in therapy for depression I was experiencing at that time. Uh, she's also been emotionally abused. My mother loved to use fear and resentment as a way to raise my siblings and I. I can honestly count how many times my mother has hugged me on one hand. The only time she would hug me, aside from the five genuine ones, was for photos that she would want to take to prove that she was a good parent for social media. My mother, who has her own trauma history uh, that is deep, my mother... Um, would take out her hurt on my sister and I if we made mistakes. My brother, quote, the child she wanted, never experienced the verbal and emotional abuse that she would impose on my sister and I. My mother would remind us of our failures, our shortcomings, fat shame, victim blame, and so on. She has her own issues and refuses to work on them, and we were her punching bags. My sister was sexually abused by one of my mother's boyfriends and only found out when my sister tested it po positive for trichomoniasis. Uh, I don't think I could have fucked that name up anymore if NASA had programmed a fuck-up. My mother was quick to call her a slut and whore even after the guy admitted that he was raping my sister. Another example of her at her worst was when my mother found out how I had abused my brother and nephew. She would call me Chester the Molester and say I, quote, ruined her life. She then went on to ignore me for years until she found out I was coming back home from foster care. She now tries to act like nothing she ever said in my youth uh, happened and that we have a perfect relationship. My sister and I now only talk to her when we need to avoid her wrath. My sister and I now only talk to her when we need to avoid her wrath if she's in a bad mood, which is often, uh, and especially avoid her when she's drunk. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Uh, my abusers were neighbors, family, friends, or my own personal friends. For my neighbors, I have always been been complicated considering that they would live next door and I would see them often. Same thing with family friends. Ultimately, these people were normal and kind in the day, but when I was their victim, they were completely different, and of course, that's complicated. Darkest thoughts. That I like really kinky, fucked-up porn involving incest or force. You know, if nobody is being abused in reality and it's consenting adults role-playing, that is not fucked up. That is not fucked up. Uh, it seems super contradictory considering my trauma, but somehow I like it and I feel like shit for liking that stuff. What if, just to experiment, when you indulged in it, assuming it wasn't anything illegal, you loved yourself during it and you accepted that that was the turn on that the universe gave you. Darkest Secrets. I struggle with dreams of incest. It could be the way that my brain is trying to compartmentalize my feelings around my past, but I wake up from them with bodily reactions that correspond with pleasure while also experiencing mental disgust and shame. And that is incredibly common. Incredibly common. That is, you know, that's our body and our mind trying to make sense of, of things. 
Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Gang bangs and group sex. I think the concept of being the center of attention or being touched by many people makes me excited. Sharing this isn't uncomfortable for me, truthfully. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would want to apologize to my brother and nephew. My nephew fortunately doesn't remember this well and doesn't seem to have any traumatic side effects, but my brother has ODD, which I believe is Oppositional Defiance Disorder. He's been expelled from multiple schools, has gotten into marijuana, and he's not even 18 yet. I feel that I can't talk about the past much for fear that it might further divide my family and make things terrible again. Also, if neither of them remember, I don't want to traumatize them by apologizing. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish you could go back in time and felt comfortable enough to tell my mom that people were using me, and that might have changed my life events, but then again, she might not have believed me or cared enough. I have the feeling she would not. I mean, look at the way she reacted to your sister. She called her a whore, even when her boyfriend, who was abusing her, admitted that it was true. Have you shared these things with others? My therapist would know, but my friends would only know the highlights, but not the reason. So my closest friends would know I was in foster care, but not the incest stuff. The person in my life who knows everything is my boyfriend, and he is honestly the most understanding human being I've ever met. He listened and not once judged as opposed to others in the past. He's the most positive example of reactions as opposed to others. The worst reaction was when I told one of my exes, and they went on to ignore me for two whole days from disgust. How do you feel after writing these things down? It feels cathartic, so I guess that's good. I've pondered writing a book about my life one day, and this survey proves that maybe I'm ready to start that. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Speak up and say something while you can. Also, take advantage of therapy. It has helped me so much in life, and I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't taken advantage of it. Thank you for that. You sound like a really, really sweet soul who has learned from her past. And that's what's important, you know? We all make mistakes of one variety or another, and it's what we do when we make the mistakes that really matter. I know, all of a sudden I just was like, oh God, you sound patronizing. Shut the fuck up. Look at that nice example of self-love, huh? This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself simply sad in Salem. And about her depression, she writes, generalized depression. Feels like I'm always on the wrong end of the teeter-totter. Oh, that's a good one. About her PTSD, the whooshing of the ocean is in my head and I don't want to drown. Thank you for that. This is the same survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Lost in the Sauce. Uh, He's a vet with uh, PTSD. And about his depression, he writes, like being dragged behind a gravel truck with the tailgate open. Oh, God, that is a good one. But his alcoholism and drug addiction, drinking rum before noon doesn't make me an alcoholic. It makes me a pirate. (laughs) Snapshot from his life, once I got so angry that I tried to strangle one of the kids. Uh, I... I really, really hope that um, you're getting help for the PTSD. I really do. Because, man, the ways that that can affect everything, not only 
in the life of the person suffering, but the people around them. And you deserve to feel better. You deserve to have peace in your life. And finally, this is a happy moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Zero. Zero or Zaro? C-A-R-R-O. He writes, I grew up in an environment that never allowed for the feeling of safety. Being the youngest of three and anointed the favorite by my parents, a title I never wanted, my older brother and sister would either bully or ignore me or anywhere in between as long as they treated me like shit. School was no different. I would daydream endlessly and always seem to have some music stuck in my head. I guess I was a bit too weird for my classmates, or maybe they just needed someone that they saw as weak, someone who was expendable in their never-ending battle for hierarchy amongst the popular elite. Between my siblings and my classmates, it felt like I was being forced to pay a price just for existing, as though it was my choice that they should target me. I had to figure out how I was to survive, because it was obvious that no one else was going to change. Why would they? They were getting what they needed by using me as a punching bag. So over time, I dismantled who I was and built up a facade that made me blend in. I did everything I could to quell any individual expression that welled up inside in order to make it through the day without feeling humiliated or invalidated. As time went by, I got better at anticipating what people would want from me and giving that to them. I became a people pleaser. The more I did that, the further away I moved from who I was. I got lost in addiction to numb myself from the feelings of loneliness, anger, and bitterness that continued on well into my adult life. After over 30 years and with support from my extremely patient wife, I cut contact with my toxic family and started therapy. I realized that my survival tactics were so deeply ingrained that I didn't know where the facade ended and where I began. I constantly questioned my reactions to everything because I didn't know if they were authentically me or not. It was as if the way that I had been breathing air was wrong and I had to learn how all over again. I began to open myself up to experiences that I had previously closed myself off from. I began taking singing lessons. I was in my instructor's studio practicing a song that he had given me, but it wasn't going that well. He asked me if I was, quote, producing my performance. I didn't know what he meant. I was obviously producing sound. He clarified and asked if when I was singing, was I trying to sing like myself or someone else? I genuinely didn't know. He then guided me to just speak the lyrics like I was having a conversation. Then he instructed me to do that, but do it on pitch. When I did, he smiled and said that I was finally singing with my own voice. For the first time in my life, I sang with my own goddamn voice instead of producing someone else's, and it was just so fucking effortless. Best of all, it sounded good. On the walk home, I actually felt that I was going to be okay in the long run. I felt like I was enough. I could be that lonely, awkward kid that I tried so damn hard to bury and forget about, and people would still love me and appreciate and appreciate me. I've finally begun to find my voice. Wow. Wow. So beautiful. So beautiful. Whenever I try to sing... Uh, first of all, I clear the room and I have the neighborhood taped off. It's not pretty. And I have always been afraid of 
just sounding bad. And I, I don't know if I know how to relax my voice. Maybe I'll try what, what your instructor said. The important thing though is that I'm making this about me. That's, let's, if we can take something from today's episode, let's have it be that it's all about Paul. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got something out of it. Um, I hope you feel less alone because you are not alone. You are not alone. And um, we're, we're all connected in a way that is so easy to miss sometimes. But, you know, for me, let's bring it back to me, those moments when I feel connected to something greater than myself, be it a support group or earth or friends, it's everything that I'm struggling with just seems to fade into the distance. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful feeling. And I think it's there for all of us. So again, you're not alone. And thanks for listening. And Gracie says hi. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.